Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Michelle Mills-Porter. Michelle, welcome. Thank you very much, Amy. Good to be here. Well, it's an interesting way that we've been brought together because we know one another via the Zoom version of the Professional Speaking Association, because as the membership director, you're responsible for bringing together all of the new members. And it was at that new welcome meeting where I first met you and heard all about you. But that wasn't how or why this particular meeting has come about. And I just want you to share what happened. Well, yeah, actually, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'd come across here and I'd heard a little bit about what you did. And I'd made a note to reach out to you and to have a deeper conversation. Uh, But we haven't got around to it. And it just so happened that something in my life triggered. And I wanted to share something that I'd not shared before. So I put out a question and I put out a question on LinkedIn and I said, does anyone know a really good podcaster that would be willing to gently talk about a subject that bridges the gap between science and spirituality? And it has to be, you know, the right person. And there were a couple of people that kind of dived in there and and gave the names of podcasters. And a couple of people said, well, you know Amy, don't you? And it was one of those dough moments when I thought, yeah, of course I do. And so we were kind of brought back together um, on that LinkedIn post and, and we had a conversation and fell head over heels in like with each other. <laughs> and the relationship blossomed. And here we are. I love that expression, head over heels in like. I've not heard that before. I love that. That's brilliant. I made it up, especially for us. Excellent. Well, it makes perfect sense. It, it <laughs> describes the relationship perfectly. So what is it that you're up to at the moment? What are you doing? So I'm very busy developing my behavior profiles and my core values analyses, all the things that I've written, all the tools that I've written. Um, and I'm I'm developing them to a new level. I'm, I'm writing in the neuroscience with my in-house biopsychologist. Um, who specialises in uh, neuroscience and behaviour in the brain. And we're putting that together with my work in that field. And what we've been able to do is take this really, really intelligent, in-depth scientific stuff and use my ability to dumb it down and make it digestible for audiences and come up with some fascinating um, ways to make it really stick. So that's all in development mode. And I'm, I'm busy keeping my powder dry, as it were, uh, until the big reveal, but it's really, really exciting stuff. So the dumbing the down and, and making it digestible, how does that fold in this spiritual element into your scientific work? Well, I don't know if it does, actually. That's a, a really interesting question. I kind of keep the camps a little bit separate. And I think that's my problem, Amy. You know, I've I've always kept these camps separate. I go into organisations and I help them to release or unleash the magnificence of their people. And there is a very large element of that, which which is quite spiritual, you know, but I don't dress it up like that. So it's almost like 
um, I'm going incognito because I don't talk about that in the boardroom. I don't talk about that element of understanding, having a sixth sense and understanding and having deep empathy. I don't talk about that in my business proposals. So, yeah, you're making me think already, Amy, maybe I need to change my marketing plan. Well, it is interesting, isn't it? You know, that whole relationship with the the woo, if so, as some people describe it, is is actually quite a core element to to our lives, and it it's there. And if you're saying you're unleashing something that people haven't sort of seen before, maybe you are tapping into that element of their lives. I, well, I, I'm definitely I'm tapping into it, um, but like I said, I've not I don't really talk about it like that. So, you know, a, a company may hire me and say, Michelle, we want to increase our sales or we want to increase our productivity. And I say, yeah, I can do that, standing in my head. But what I do is I'm going in, I'm actually working with people on a, on a, a real personal um, and intimate level. And it's the releasing of that magnificence and, and, and giving people permission to walk into their light and be who they are. That's what results in what the client says they want at the end of the day. They don't necessarily want to hire me to come in to do all that stuff. They just want the results at the end of the day. But what the individuals are getting is this entire unleashing of a side that they haven't sort of seen and that belief in, in themselves. When did you first sort of spot that you had this superpower? <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna this is a this is a bear all now, isn't it? I'm gonna tell you something. I don't tell people this. I guess it's always been there. Um let me walk you backwards. I remember being in the Air Force and I was posted to RAF Lyman and it was an it was a new posting. I was new, it was Christmas, there was a massive party coming up. A friend said, Look, Michelle, I'll take you out and introduce you to a few people. So I was wearing, bear in mind this is 1989, um, and I had this kind of off-the-shoulder t-shirt on with a lovely gypsy scarf. Uh, with tassels and everything wrapped around my shoulders my hair was in one of those lovely late 1980s curly perms and it was pinned up and I had big hoop earrings Um, and this guy my friend introduced me to somebody and this person said oh my god you look a bit like a Romany gypsy and I said oh it's funny you should say that and he said no 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 don't tell me you read palms don't tell me and I said wow funny you should say that um so we sat down and on the agreement that he would buy buy me a pint I read his his palm I can't read palms Amy and I don't mean to take the mick out of anyone that can but I was just winging it and and it ended up he's gone oh my god I can't believe how accurate this is and uh, and went around telling everyone. So from then on, I used to read palms for pints. Um, fast forward 10 years, and I remember a lot of people in the pub, there's always a pub element to my, yes. Um, in the pub, people would say, oh, Michelle, Michelle, do that psychology thing that you did on me for my friend. And again, you know, I would, I would, I made up a story. And I used to say, OK, let's imagine we're walking down this road and, you know, you see a vase. And I just walked them through this story and got them to tell me what they saw and then came back and told them things about themselves. None of it was trying to be psychic. None of it was pretending I was, you know, I had this ability. All I was doing was using my ability to to read people, to to empathise and to understand them and feeding that back to them. Now. 
there is a very common theme here because um, again, fast forward another 15 years or so and bang, I was in the middle of the Boxing Day tsunami. And that experience um, kind of taught me so much about human behavior that when I got back, I just had to dive into learning everything I could about human behavior. Oh my God, what did I see? This collaboration, this, this incredible compassion deep in humanity. Why do we not show this in every walk of life? Why is it only during adversity that this happens? So I then threw myself into learning everything I could about human behavior and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then ended up creating all of these profiles that help people to access that magnificence they have within them without having to go through the kind of trauma and adversity that I'd been through in order to learn it. So it's kind of full circle. I guess I guess that ability to, to read people and to help them and to hold a mirror up has always been there. And I love that you use metaphors so that people can understand it from a different perspective, that you're, you're sort of telling the story and you're explaining it to them in a sort of distanced away so that they can then see that like a, like the mirror. They can actually see the picture that you're describing. It's a, it's a really impressive talent you have. Well, you know, it was just a bit of fun. It really was just a bit of fun until suddenly it became very serious. Um, after the tsunami, that's when it became serious. And I suddenly realised that actually our ability, um, in fact, the only thing that will save the human race is our ability to collaborate. It's that collaboration that is so important. So I can't, leaving, leaving aside all the jokey stuff that I did in the pubs, you know, as a kid and all that kind of stuff, actually what I do now is fully scientific. You know, it's got psychology in it, neuroscience in it, uh, loads, of, loads of different kinds of science in it. And I've spent um, years actually knuckled down, you know, working out the algorithms and all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of science behind it. But actually, I'm delivering the same thing. I'm giving people that mirror. But now I'm doing it with authority rather than just winging it down the pub for a pint. Well, just, just going back to that, something you said, the the element of the collaboration, that it's through adversity that you really see people coming together. And if only they could act in the same way when there wasn't a trauma or adversity. What, what, what takes it to that next level, that level of collaboration? Um, I think understanding, and, and this is this is obviously why I do what I do, it's understanding the beauty that we have within us. Now, in the in the aftermath, well, during as well as the aftermath of the Boxing Day tsunami, it's almost like I describe it as being a little bit like if your house was on fire, you flee that house in whatever you're wearing. You don't bother, you know, putting your makeup on or putting clothes on half the time. And that's exactly the same in a traumatic situation. You see straight through to the core of people without their clothes on you know you see straight through to the essence um, of who they are and, and that is shown in their actions at that pinnacle point now the fact is that when we live our lives we kind of most of us are on a bit of a hamster wheel whether we like it or not you know society kind of determines that this is what we do you know we grow up we go to college or university or something and then we get a job and then we do this and then we do that and so we're kind of we're trudging this path but we're not tested 
we're very rarely tested to see what we're truly made of. Now, back in Neanderthal days, that would have been different. You know, suddenly you're chasing a dinosaur or a dinosaur's chasing you or whatever. Um, and and you're, you're tested, your true fight, flight or freeze um, kind of reactions are brought out and you see how people behave. Actually, we don't see that a lot of the time in normal life. And it's only when you truly test someone that you can see their true colours, see what they're really made of. And what were your true colours? Oh, gosh. Now, that's, you see, I'm all ready to tell you about everyone else's true colours. Because <laughs> I was observing everyone else. Um, and and, and I, I saw so much. I mean, you know, I'll tell you about my story with my husband. Seeing his true colours is what solidified our relationship for life. Um, I think in general, what I saw was that humanity was magnificent. And that's why my keynote is called The Magnificence of Humanity. Um, humanity is beautiful. There is a deep compassion and when you see people putting their life on the line for a complete stranger, you get it. Um, there is no politics. There is no hierarchy. There is no one-upmanship. You know, people come together. And this beautiful, I'm getting goosebumps now, this beautiful feeling of collaboration is something I refused to let go of. I always want that around. And once you've seen it, you know, it's 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 like seeing a rainbow for the first time. You know, once you see it, you never, ever want to not see it. You just you're always fighting to get that back. And you just want to go up to people on the street who are arguing and shake them by the neck and say, do you not realise, you know, collaboration? We are brilliant at collaborating. Find a way through this. And of course, you know, if you did that, people would think you're a bit balmy. Um, but it doesn't stop you wanting to always help people to uncover that and show them how compassionate they really are, you know, how uh, all of those lovely skills that they have inside that are uncovered, that, that are untapped. Who wouldn't want to do that? And you're talking about the true colours and you use the rainbow as the, the way to describe that. And obviously you know, that's such a beautiful, again, another metaphor to, to sort of use there. What what are the true colours of those that you experienced in that time? Um, well, there's something there's something quite significant about the rainbow, actually, Amy. And I might go a little bit left field and and tell you about that if I can, because a lot of people um, hear me talking about rainbows all the time, and I do use it as a metaphor for nearly everything. And there's a reason behind that. And and one of the things that I wanted to share with you today. So if you look at my logos, if you look at my logos of all of my tools and all that kind of thing, they're all elements of the rainbow. And I believe that it's an experience I had um, with a rainbow that made me kind of open to a lot of the um, spiritual side of things um, that I bring into my work. And so would, would you would you like me to tell you a little bit about that? story absolutely okay so this is this is many many years ago and I must admit I was probably at my lowest ebb uh, in my entire life I, I was really very depressed um, I'd had um, an extremely difficult short but difficult um, marriage which was you know very aggressive um, and I'd had my heart shattered um, my career was was in uh, a mess because I'd left the Air Force and I was trying to make it in sales and 
you know, it was a, a real dog-eat-dog -dog world back then. And I'd gone away to my healing place, which is a little village called Flamrested in Wales. Um, and we've had a caravan there for, for generations. Um, and that's my healing place. And I went there to just try and heal. And I thought if I can go and just, you know, just write some poetry, just just connect and, you know, get it out of my system that I can go back and, and find another job and get on with my life. And, you know, I will have kind of expelled some of that emotion that I need to get rid of. So that's what I went intending to do. But I'd been there for the best part of a week and I had suffered writer's block. I literally just looked around and there was a, a waste paper basket just full of screwed up pieces of paper. Um, and it was the, the day before I know that I, I knew I needed to come home. So I just walked out onto the seafront. It was about midday. I walked out to the seafront, which was only a few yards away from, from the caravan. Um, and I looked out towards the sea and I just had this horrendous feeling of loneliness and sadness and I felt like walking to the sea and, and never coming back and I remember just looking at feeling so desperate and looking up to the sky and saying if there is anything out there give me a sign because I don't know what I'm going to do and it wasn't instantaneous. It was, a, it was a gentle thing. What happened was I started to see things a little bit more clearly. I started to feel inspired. Uh, I started to feel like I was getting some inspiration to write about the sea and the waves. I'd always written about this, but there was a new angle that was coming. Um, these waves had come from foreign lands and, you know, imagine what, if they could bring memories with them or feelings with them, imagine what that would feel like. And, and I just started to, to get this kind of feeling of creativity. And then out of nowhere, this huge and vast rainbow just appeared on the horizon and I was just like wow that's amazing but before I could do anything it just came to me came to me there was no feeling of speed or distance it was just there and it was so vast Amy it was this whole world of colour. I could have walked into it. I could see it on the waves. I could have walked into it and carried on walking and not come out the other side. It was massive. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is incredible. What is it? And I remember I was too frightened to even breathe. I just literally just darted my eyes around to say, you know, is, is there anyone that is watching this or is everyone going to think I'm mad? And of course, I was the only person there. There was not a single person anywhere. And I was thinking, OK, all right. And then this rainbow started to sink into the waves. Um, and as it did, I remember thinking, I just thought in my head, I thought, no, 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 don't, don't go now. If you go, I'm just going to think you're an anomaly, that you're just, you know, it was just a, just a, a real anomaly of science and there's, there's no true meaning. I need to know that this is a, a sign, a message for me. I need, I need to own this. And as I, as I remember saying that in my head, this rainbow just literally, it bowed straight over me and completely enveloped me. Now, I can't explain what that felt like, but because words just aren't enough. But awe is a massive word there. Um, I was it was 
ecstasy the feeling was incredible I felt like there were generations of people of my family who had passed that were all there greeting me I felt love like I've never felt in my life I felt like I could hear a thousand voices and yet I could still hear the waves and the seagulls there was not a sound of a voice I don't know if that makes any sense it was a sense it was a feeling um, without being able to hear any voices or words it was just a feeling of these voices around me and it was it was just the most incredible feeling um, of ecstasy that I've ever felt in my life and true love and with that feeling I had no fear of ever being alone again I had no uh, desire to know what it was or what it or, or you know whether this was God, angels, you know, science, a vibration of a rainbow, which is a different vibration apparently to the rest of life. I have no idea, but I had no need to ask any questions. There was just this feeling of complete calmness and fulfillment that was unbelievable. And this time when the rainbow um, faded, I ran back to my caravan and I was just full of this love and inspiration. And I just went Bleh, and it just kind of fell out onto the paper as this clumsy poem that kind of captured what I'd just been through in a very childish form. It just didn't seem sophisticated enough to capture what had happened to me. And like I said, I don't really know what it was. I have friends who say, you know, Michelle, there's a very easy scientific reason to explain that. Um, and there are friends that say, well, you know, Michelle, that was God. Uh, Michelle, that was angels. Michelle, it's because you're psychic and that was your higher self. I don't believe any of them, quite frankly. I don't know what the answer is, but I actually don't necessarily need to know what the answer is. All I know is what it meant to me. And the important thing for me is what it meant to me. I call it my angels, for want of a better word, you know, and uh, and now people call me the rainbow witch. <laughs> I wanted to be called the rainbow maker, Amy, but, you know, because I can I can sense when rainbows are coming and I quite often stop the car and throw people out of the car and say, get your cameras out. And they go, what? What are we looking at? Uh, and then a rainbow appears and they go, oh, my God, you're the rainbow witch. So um, so that's kind of stuck. As the, I'm the rainbow witch. But you've never, as you said, you've never had a, a sort of a, a need or a desire to label it because it doesn't actually matter that, that it has a name. Yeah, but then when you're trying to explain it to other people, they want to know what the label is. And that's difficult because, you know, it, they, they need to put it into a filing system in their head. Um, and where do you put, you know, where do you put it? And where do you put me? Do you put me down as woo-woo? Do you put me down as, you know, as um, as as, uh, as as being easily awe-inspired? Do you put me down as, you know, what, whatever it is? Labels are quite limiting, aren't they? Well, they will file it how they need to. As you said, some said that, you know, it was God. Some said it was, you know, psychic. And, and they will file it in their own way that helps them to process what you experienced. But for, from your perspective, you didn't need to have that filed. It's, it's because it's all encompassing. Yeah, I think, although I call it, I always say that you're in rainbows and my angels. Every time I see a rainbow, I go, hello, angels. And I always say it's my angels. But I don't really know what my angels are or what they mean. Um, but that's the label, I suppose, that I give it because I need to find it in my own head. Um, but here's something that I don't think I've ever publicly told Amy. 
a lot of people will get this and a lot of people might not. But um, I remember quite a few years ago now, I used to be sitting in the office and I'd go, ow, like that. And I'd have this little mark on my back that really used to hurt occasionally. Um, I showed my mum, I said, mum, what's this? And she said, have you been leaning on your bra or something? It looks like a little red mark. And I said, no, I'm, I haven't. And, you know, and then when I kind of exclaimed, this hurts, I remember my sister, who was my operations director in my business at the time, you know, she, she'd have a look and say, oh, is that your thing on your back again? Let's have a look. And I noticed that this was being, I, it felt like someone was sticking a protractor in my back. You know, when you're in school and you've got a nasty person behind you, it's like they're sticking me with a protractor or, or, or a compass or something, whatever you call it. Um, it was like a spike, a real spike. And I literally used to jump out of my chair. So in the end, we noticed that it was kind of looking different, you know, um, and it became a full circle. And I went to the doctors and I said, just a bit concerned about this. And the doctor said, it's nothing to worry about, Michelle. They felt it. And one of my doctors said, Michelle, it's a cyst underneath the skin. I can feel it very clearly. I feel it with my fingers. It's a cyst. That's all it is. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I get out and it would come back time and time again. So in the end, I remember having a conversation with my husband and Stuart said, Michelle, I don't like it. You don't like it. It's an imperfection. Get rid of it. And I'm like, okay. So I went to the doctors and I said, I want to get rid of it. And they said, Michelle, you're being, you're overreacting. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing. Don't, don't worry about it. I said, no, I want to get rid of it. So under duress, they put me uh, off to a, a specialist and, um, and I went in and they removed it with, you know, with a local. Um, and I remember the guy, he, he got it out and he put it in a little test tube and it looked like, like a rat's brain. Um, and I looked at it, I thought, oh, and I started to try and prod it. He said, don't prod it. I said, well, I want to prod it and get rid of it. They said, it's out, Michelle, now. Don't worry about it. It's gone, you know, but we need to send it off for testing. So they did that. And then all I remember is the phones ringing off the hook. The phones were ringing at the office. They were ringing on my mobile, on my home phone. And they were trying to get hold of me. And when they finally got hold of me, they said, Michelle, you've got to come into the, into the hospital. So I did. I'm like, okay. And I remember sitting there in this ward thinking, oh, my God, I'm sitting there in this in this ward and there's pictures of people with with cancer and there are people walking past me with, you know, um, disfigured faces because they've got cancer. How awful. This is dreadful. And I, I went in for my consultation and the consultant told me what it is. And he said, you know, this this can grow very aggressively. It's got these spines these legs and so we have to cut a large area around it and get rid of it so we need you to go down and get a scan now and then you need to come back into hospital tomorrow and we'll do the operation I remember being very practical about this and walking to the scanning room with my husband and halfway up the corridor I stopped in my tracks and went oh my god I've got cancer he'd never used the word once Amy it's a very rare form of skin cancer that is not caused by the sun. It's quite an anomaly. Um, but he never used the word and it suddenly dawned on me I've got cancer. So I, I was all right about it. But actually, I'm going to fast forward you um, to the operation itself. And I remember talking to the consultant because I was awake throughout the operation and they took a very large area on my back 
um, out so that they could test all around it and make sure it hadn't spread. And I was chatting away to, to this specialist and I, I said to him, you know, that I felt this, you know, some, somebody was telling me that this was, there was something wrong with this. And he said, I'm sorry, Michelle, that's impossible. And I thought, well, that's a strange word. What do you mean it's impossible? He said, you can't feel it. And I said, well, I'm telling you I felt it on a regular basis. And he said, Michelle, you can't feel it. And I said, well, I'm really sorry, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> Me telling a consultant they're wrong. But I knew what I felt. And he said, Michelle, this is so far underneath the nerve endings. You physically cannot feel it. It will not produce any sensations. And so that was it for me. I was like, that's my angels. My angels told me it was cancer, told me I need to get rid of it. There's my angels again. And I kind of connected it all back, you know, to, to this thing that I call my angels, which I guess I have a, you know, spiritual feeling towards whatever it is. I did do some research on that cancer and it is a very, very rare form of cancer. And it does say that you can't feel anything. Um, but then the deeper I dug, I found that there was a tiny element, one in a million of a million and of a million people will be able to feel something. So I'm not saying that it was, you know, there is a possibility that I was that one million of a million of a million person that felt something. But I'm I'm just happy, you know, to to just go with the flow. And again, it's that sort of putting the two different camps, the spiritual camp and the scientific camp. It's actually no, they are probably bird. It is. It's a very strange thing, isn't it? I've always liked to think that I I have a foot in both camps, and I and I'm I'm a bridge towards you you know towards connecting the two together. But the people that are in one camp are so very firmly in that camp and don't want to hear anything about the woo woo stuff. It's pure science. There is you won't change my mind. That's absolutely fine. And then you've got people you know in the spiritual camp. Um, who say there's no such thing as woo-woo and those people are incredibly closed-minded and there is this almost a battle between the two camps so where do I sit in it all I really don't know I, I very I love the scientists scientific side of things uh, but I cannot deny and will not deny my love of the spiritual things that I experience in my life because I've experienced them and I'm, I'm not willing to ignore that for the sake of anyone else's sensitivities. Perhaps the rainbow is the bridge between the two that's connecting them both. Oh, could be. Yeah, who knows? So something you said earlier that I, I didn't want to let drop, it was something you mentioned about your husband because you were talking about the true colours. Yeah. And, and I asked you about your true colours and you sort of deflected it because you were expecting me to sort of ask you about the true colors of what you'd seen in others and you mentioned your husband what was it that you were going to share then so Stuart and I had probably been together 12 years then he's a lot younger than me and we talked about marriage before but then we'd always put it on the back burner it's like oh yeah okay don't don't talk about that and especially the fact that I'd had such a horrendous marriage although it's very short it was just horrendous and so I didn't want to say the same vows to somebody else that I'd said to somebody and meant it the first time even though it didn't work out so it, you know it all felt a bit uncomfortable and and so we'd we would we'd been together for so long um but there was always something I didn't know whether I there was an element there that I didn't know whether he was going to be there for me if I really needed him and I don't know why I had that feeling um 
There are, yeah, there's a couple of reasons um, that it could be, but for, for whatever reason it was, we just hadn't got around to it yet. And it was on the night of that tsunami, and it was in the garden when that tsunami was coming again. And when we heard what sounded like the tsunami coming again, in the middle of this darkness, there was this garden full of people that, you know, some people were panicking, some people were screaming and shouting, some people were crying. We didn't know what to do. We couldn't get any higher. We didn't know what to do. And I remember for a fleeting minute thinking, if you're going to come again, just take me. I'll sit here by the glass doors and it'll be quick. Um, and it's one of those fleeting things that just go through your mind when you're trying to rationalise things. And I just thought, no, whatever happens, I need to be with Stuart. Where is Stuart? And I remember in the darkness, desperately trying to find him in this sea of people. Um, and eventually I saw his frame um, and his silhouette, which I recognised. And I remember looking over and as my eyes adjusted in the moonlight, I remember waving to him. Said, oh, I'm here, I'm here. And he looked at me, but he kind of looked me up and down and turned away, almost like he didn't recognise me. And that, I was so, it was such a desperate feeling. This could be the end of our lives. And I just need him to hold my hand. Um, and I remember waving frantically again. And again, he looked at me and turned around and looked away. And I'm like, what? Why can't he see me? We eventually made it through to each other. I said, Stuart, Stuart, I'm here. And he said, I know. And I said, well, what were you doing? And he, he looked to one side. And he said, I'm trying to work out how to get you up that mast. And in that moment, I realised there was one solitary mast and the only thing in his mind was how to get me to safety. And everything just came full circle then. I just fell in love with him all over again. And it just it just told me everything I ever needed to know about him. Was he, was he going to be there for me, for me when I really needed him? You couldn't have proved it to me in a clearer way. Um, so yes, and he truly adores me. I have no idea why, but I'm massively in love with him. We've been together coming on 30 years now. Um, he's definitely the right one for me. And I'll tell you what, that experience really showed me his true colours. And it's very rare that anyone can say, would you give your life or put somebody else's life before yours when the chips are down? I know the answer to that. And many, many people don't. The one thing I will say is I met Stuart literally weeks after my rainbow. And I think if I'd have asked that rainbow to make me feel loved and to give me that feeling that someone was going to be there by my side for the rest of, of life, then I truly think he was delivered to me. And it, it's, it's such a wonderful story that you, you went to that seafront and you felt that sort of incredible loneliness and sadness. And, and yet, you know, minutes later, you had the complete opposite, the ecstasy and the, the, that feeling of intense love that you described. And, and often we do have those extremities. It is, you know, you do have you can't have one without the other. And in that moment, you, you know, you, you were seesawing between the two, but then you came out of it with that incredible inspiration. And you said you wrote a clumsy poem. I, I'm sure it wasn't necessarily clumsy, but it was what you needed to put down at that, at that moment onto paper, just to experience, just to record what you shared then. Since that moment, Michelle, how do you feel that your, your life going forward has changed? I think, 
I I think what that rainbow experience gave me, it made me know I knew I would never be alone. Whatever whatever that rainbow gave me, you know, um, it made me feel that I was surrounded by people that loved me. And I, I like to think that, you know, maybe I touched the other side. Maybe I touched a different realm. I don't know. But it was full of love and euphoria. And therefore, I can't ever be alone. You know, if they came to me when I needed them, how could I ever feel alone again? But I think more than that, what it triggered in me was the ability um, to be able to look at things with awe and not to be afraid of that, but to also see the good in everything. Because if I hadn't have seen that rainbow and had that experience, then I don't think I would have been able to go through the tsunami um, with the same perspective. So going through that tsunami and the experiences, I was looking for what was happening. I was watching what how people were reacting. And I was, I was digesting all of the lessons that were being taught. Now, yes, it took me a long while to, to, um, to kind of, to, to boil all of those lessons down into this incredibly powerful soup, you know, which I now draw from and, and, uh, and, and give my lessons from. Um, but actually, if I hadn't have been through that rainbow experience, if that hadn't have happened to me, I don't think that I would have reacted the way I did during the tsunami. And in lots of other smaller areas of my life, it's given me a different perspective and a perspective that it's always going to be all right, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't matter how dark it is. There's always something, you know, to live for. And you found that connection through nature. That learning came from nature. Did it come from nature? I don't know. If it's, um, it's, it's nature in one sense of the word, um, but, you know, if it was God or if it was angels, then is that nature? Well, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was. All I know is that I'm the rainbow witch. I believe in angels. And that's what I'm sticking to. <laughs> so other than rainbows and angels, are there any other sort of important elements that you, you sort of treasure and or gu- that guide you? I think for me, one of the biggest things that I've uh, discovered through this whole process is the importance of um, being in line with our core values. And I think that's one of the things I saw in the midst of the aftermath is the fact that people reverted to their core values. So our behaviour that we portray to the outside world isn't necessarily our true uh, reflection of our core values. And actually, because we are so uh, ingrained in this hamster wheel in that society puts before us, we are sometimes quite a way off from our true core values. We're doing something that doesn't really ignite us. It doesn't. It's not really in flow. And the best way to see that in people is when they're not performing, when they don't feel energized, when their performance isn't on par, um, where things are going wrong. It feels like the doors are shutting on them. They may start to get. Uh, you know, stressed or anxious and even illness. And I think this is one of the big warning signs. Illness is is a really good way to show that we are not in line with our core values because it takes, that taking us out of alignment can cause all sorts of anomalies. 
um, and you know, and illnesses uh, or disease, as a lot of people say, uh, is quite often a symptom of that. So actually, showing people what their true subconscious core values are, I have the ability to do that with the analysis tool that I've created, and that is a massive connection for a lot of people. To be able to say, I know what your true core values are because you've done the analysis and this is what they are. For people to say, ah, okay, so that's why I feel stressed when I do this or that's why I feel motivated when I do the other. Having that um, compass to be able to guide them and making sure what they do is in line with their core values, it gives people health, happiness, fulfillment. With that comes performance. And it's just being open to revealing those feelings, being aware of your emotions as well. Yeah, it's being certainly being aware of our core values. Uh, a lot of people think that you need to share core values in order to get on with someone. Actually, that's not true. Um, sharing core values certainly attracts you towards people and repels you against others. And it's a, it's almost like a sixth sense. Um, but I don't I don't know why we think it's so strange. If you see animals. Um, you see two dogs in the street, you know, they will either want to bite or they'll want to play. Actually, they might want to shag as well, but we probably wouldn't want to put that in the video. But those are the two, those two things that they would do. They would fight or they would play. Um, and they have this instinct in terms of whether they're going to get on or not. Human beings are exactly the same. I can guarantee it, if I feel incredibly drawn to someone and, you know, and we have that lovely friendship going, we share subconscious core values. Um, and that's what creates that attraction. It does. You don't have to share core values in order to get on with people. And I've proved that. I've proven it in the best way um, by doing Stuart's core values, my husband, against mine. They are complete opposites. Like our record collection, they separate like oil and water, Amy. Every, we are opposites in everything, including our core values. Understanding each other's core values and realizing that those core values are formed in our formative years. And that's to do with our culture, with our religion, with the way we're brought up, and, and all of those things in our early life. They're there for a reason. There's no right or wrong. They, they just are what they are. So if you can understand the differences in core values, that's the key to be able to, to, to get on with them. You don't have to share them. Well, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story with us today. And it's been so special hearing your journey. It's my absolute pleasure, Amy. Thank you for getting so much out of me. You've, uh, you've delved in areas that, um, that other interviewers haven't dared to tread. Oh, well, I think it's, it's just, it just comes naturally when you're in the right space, I guess. You know, that a lot of people say that they feel safe in the space that it's created. So that's that's the, the important element that you felt safe enough to share well I certainly hope that it's meaningful to somebody out there I'm absolutely certain of it how would people get in touch with you Michelle if there's only one Michelle Mills Porter on the planet thank god my husband says but there honestly is if you google Michelle Mills Porter then I come up um if you you can find me on LinkedIn you can find me on Facebook um, you know, just just find me. I love relationships. I love friendships. I live for it. People are the most important thing, you know, and relationships are the most important thing to me on the planet. So if anyone reaches out, as long as you tell me that you've heard this podcast, um, then I know that you're not a bot or a spam or whatever. Then, you know, I, I will gladly accept and, you know, and chat with everyone that I possibly can. So please do reach out. 
I just want to say thank you again for sharing your true colours, your rainbows, your your angels with us. It's been a real privilege. So thank you. Have you got a final word for the audience, please? Have I got a final word for the audience? All I would say is keep an open mind and accept each other. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are, but just keep an open mind and accept each other for, for what we are. And then maybe we've got the grounds for collaboration. And collaboration is the one thing that gives us our human magnificence. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.